Hey everyone, welcome to the Fred Tech Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Mendoza, and with me is my co-host, Mark Walker, and thanks to Fitzy.org at Root for hosting us. Root is a one-stop public-private partnership to jumpstart new businesses and energize innovation in Frederick County. Dig deep, cultivate tomorrow. Right, and their location is amazing because I am going to Brewers Alley right after this. <laughs> but today's guest is uh, Jana Ray. And she is a dynamic workshop leader and a consultant, um, a major operator in this org- this thing called Fractal Ops, right? Her organization is, is what it is, right, Mark? Yeah, Fractal Ops, and, and she calls it ops and not something else because it is, you know, dealing with operations, but you're handling the unpredictableness of things that happen in the real world. And Fractal Ops is a way of attacking that. Right, and, and this whole... Um, what do you even call it, like ideology or this this idea, right? I, I don't know. What, what would you call it? A methodology? Methodology it's, it's, sounds it's, more, more like... It, it is. It's, it's that. It encompasses more than just a methodology. Because right. it is, like you mentioned earlier, so it's sort of a concept, a, a way of approaching things, a right. philosophy. Right. Um, ma- making the human and processes pieces work together. And she also mentioned how nature deals with fractals and comes out with order. Right, right. And so you're basically taking order out of chaos in a natural way. Right, That's right. kind of what I think I heard her describe. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's amazing to see, like, some of the case studies that, you know, she cites and mentions about, you know, organizations that are self-sufficient and no, don't necessarily need that, uh, you know, rigid hierarchy, corporate structure that, you know, most of us are used to, at and least this, I am. And this interview is chock full of real-world examples. Right. She cites one thing after another after another, right. along with all this, not just a bunch of theory. This no. is stuff that's actually on the ground. Right, exactly. So uh, it's a, it's one of our longest yeah. episodes today. Yes, it is. And um, hope you guys enjoy it. So check it out. Then you, the got their, then you got their attention. And and that's when I realized, well, I didn't realize it then. It took me years to realize it, but we were operating as a fractal organization. Uh, I mean, it was highly uh, creative. Oh before that, wow. And then when they said, and they, they started yeah. paying attention, they said, well, we better go over there and take our management techniques to them. And that's when all the relationships changed in the organization. Interesting. Oh, that is amazing. You start with Drucker to Peters to, then you progress into the, that would be amazing to have some insight into how that progressed. Yeah. Within six months, I didn't want to go to work. Really? Yeah. It was that bad. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. I mean, like the the meetings behind closed doors, people were. That's very bad. You know, no, you can't be creative anymore. What? I mean, yeah. It was years later when I was studying, like, Drucker and Peter Sangay and Wolf and all these other writers yeah. you know, who were trying to address these management problems. Yes. And I'm reading about personalities. It's all about personalities. Oh, I'm like, yeah. no, it's not. No. I was in the same organization with the same people, mm-hmm. and it wasn't about personality. It was about the system. Interesting. Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh, it's structural. It's really a structural <clears throat> issue. But the structural issues need to be solved so the human part can come out and be creative, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We need the environment in order to 
to thrive. Yeah, yeah, right. To thrive. Yeah. Exactly. This right. Is, this is going to be fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. Welcome, yeah. Janet, to to the podcast. And Thank you. you know, with that, it's like we have so much to talk about. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I want to start off, um, and I, I really want to get back to exactly what you were talking about there. But let's start off with. You know, if you can explain what fractal ops is, you know, quickly, like on a billboard, what would that look like? It would be highly creative people self-managing in successful organizations. That is pretty simple. Very clear. Yes, it is. (laughs) I mean, if you look at the reason I chose the term fractal is because it represents nature's pattern integrity. Yeah. And nature operates so beautifully without humans. It looks disorganized to some people, but it really isn't. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's Each individual in nature is following its own intuition and instinct yeah. and thriving. Right. Like the, the term fractal to me, I, I've heard in use, uh, you know, in images, I would say, like when you just continue to go in there. That's one of the first things that comes to mind. That the comes to my mind. The fractal image, image the shapes, right? you know. No matter how, how deep you go in there, there's just a new image and something yeah. new to, to yeah. look at. So is that part of, be, besides nature that you were just mentioning, where the inspiration came for the name at least? Well, you know, I was back, it was when I was at Dr. Dobbs that I first saw these fractal images in the coffee table books. It was really interesting. Um, but then the more I was researching fractal geometry, and I actually I read parts of Benoit Mandelbrot's book because I'm not really a mathematician, but I understood then that it's, you know, a tree is a fractal pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, the human body is filled with fractal images, right. fractal yeah. patterns. I mean, yes. have, you, did, have you seen that human body exhibit that travels the country? I haven't. I, I have haven't. not seen that no. yet. Highly recommend. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> it's been, yeah. oh, it's been, I think yeah. it's been traveling for like 10 years now oh, at gosh. least. Yeah. Um, I think it's in Atlanta now because I looked it up to make sure I had the right name of it. But it's just gorgeous inside the body and out. But like the kidneys are the most gorgeous fractal pattern with how the blood vessels flow through the kidneys. It's just remarkable. That is amazing. I would have to check that out. And I also saw somebody talk one time about fractals, and they were saying that even the way we stand and how we kind of tend to shift kind of back and forth when we're just standing and talking with someone, Mm -hmm. we have a constant movement, really. Even that's a fractal pattern. So just everything is fractal. It's... Like the founding pattern of... And you've related it to management of organizations, of people, of projects. And let's take off from there. Well, yes, because I believe that you can have a natural management style within an organization that allows people to act more naturally and to access Mm -hmm. their inherent creativity, intuition, instincts, to follow their gut, to... Be spontaneous when something arises and know what needs to change right then. Everyone's, every human being is different. We're all unique in our personalities. So how do you manage what you might call dancing fractals uh, so they don't step on each other's feet and they harmonize and synergize with each other? Well, in the, in the research that I based my training program on, Frederick Lelou's research in the book, Reinventing Organizations, um, very strongly throughout the organizations in this research was the implementation of something that some called and others didn't call the advice process. Okay. So 
if I'm working away at my job and I've got, you know, like a customer interaction or an interaction with another coworker right. makes me think, oh, this would be a great idea. And I want to run with this idea. Well, first of all, I must seek advice mm-hmm. from anyone who would be affected by that decision I would make. Right. Second of all, I would seek advice from the leadership, mentors, guides, and coaches, which is really, I think, the role that leaders need to play in these kind of organizations. You have two types of employees, leaders of people and managers of things and processes. Well, we need to go into that further. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and, and unless somebody's got an objection that, is based on, like, if this happens, something really bad can happen, and they've got some evidence for that, then you get to run with your decision. But then you also get to be responsible for how it unfolds and accountable. Accountable, right. And so some people are going to come to that game with a lot more fear than others. That they're afraid of the accountability equals punishment. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's why these organizations have to be based on trust. They have to eliminate fear. You can't have fearful people or they won't make the right decisions. Depending on a person, individual's past experience, that could be a very steep climb. Indeed. And it starts yeah. young. Have you read any of Ed Catmull's writings? No. Um, no, he's no. the president of Pixar. Okay. And he published an article in Harvard Business Review many years ago that, that preceded his book called Creativity, Inc., which I highly recommend. It's a great story about the it unfolding noted, of Pixar. Yeah. Um, but the article he published in HBR, he said that his their biggest challenge was getting new hires to open up and speak their ideas because they had been trained in college to suppress their creativity and to not speak up because the professor was always right. So that that authority starts then, and then when they go into the workplace, hey, they're pretty much indoctrinated, you know, to be this way. It starts even earlier than that, though, right? I mean, you, we're talking about school, like, right, structure exactly, there. It's yeah. like, who is always right? It's the teacher. It's it's the person leading the class. And mm-hmm. a, as a child, I assume that, yes, more times than not, they are right, because you are learning, right? But once you get to college, it's kind of a, an environment where now you, you are, you should be encouraged to question things, right? Mm-hmm. I can't just take you at your word. It's like, what? Why? Why it should be what's coming out of your mouth all the time? At least it did for me in college, you know. <laughs> but there are schools that are different. Um, Montessori's different. Mm-hmm. Waldorf. Um, one of the schools in the, or one of the organizations in the Luz research is a, a school in Berlin. I think it's called ESBZ or something like this. It stands for like big long German word, you know, <laughs> four big long German words. Um, and Dennis Bakke, who was the leader of AES, which is another, he, and he wrote a book called Joy at Work. That's and what is AES? Applied Energy Systems. Okay. And okay. he basically, he was a co-founder and a co-leader, and he convinced his co-founder to do this self-management thing. And they had 40,000 people across the world wow. self-managing these energy plants. And then Enron happened. And shortly after Enron happened, a very small team in Oklahoma falsified some documents for the government. And the board of directors at AES freaked out. And they said, no more self-management. Nine people out of 40,000 
One rotten apple. Right. Yeah. Well, and then also their fear yeah. of, of the energy sector was just failing because of what the Enron crisis. So, right. It's just um, one variable after another that kind of cascaded right. a little bit there. Mm-hmm. So even though the entire organization was operating really smoothly and doing very well, um, it was just this handful of people that became afraid and changed the structure, and he left. And he started a organization called Imagine Schools. Mm-hmm. They now have like... Which shows you can't have fear not only at the bottom, you can't have fear at the top because that will wreck everything. Exactly. Yeah. And often boards of directors feel like they should be decision makers in how a company unfolds, but they are so far from the dis- distant from the action. From day to day, yeah. It's the people who are at the edges of the organization that are dealing with the customers, partners, suppliers, vendors and each other, mm-hmm. who are getting the most information from the environment. You can't really wait for some Gartner analyst to start, you know, to spend how many ever months he's Their analysis spend. is worthless without all that on-the-ground data. Exactly. Yeah. They're just looking at, you know, the yeah. trends in the marketplace right. and yeah. at who's buying what. And, right. and then sure. they, you know, say, mm-hmm. here's, you know, here's our magic quadrant with, you know, all the companies over here who are in the magic part of the quadrant. Um mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, and Lulu goes into this in great detail that you have to have a board of directors that's on board with this concept or, you, or the, the leader of the organization will struggle. So for, what are some of the things that the board members need to be on board with? Uh, can you elaborate, enumerate some of those? Some, yeah. Being Please do. advisors, <laughs> yes. mentors, mm-hmm. guides, and coaches. Instead of tactical, you know, directors. Right. Exactly. Like telling them exactly where where things should go, you know. They're the people Mm -hmm. you go to for advice because they've got all this experience. And, of course, you Mm -hmm. want to respect and tap that experience. Sure. But they're not in the field in the action that's going on. Right. So their experience is is distant from what's really going on. Now, Now, you mentioned AES, right, that had went from like a self-managed type organization to something completely different. Do you know what happened after? Was it, did it, was it a big uh, detriment to their bottom line or was it to the culture or something like that? Definitely to the culture. Mm. One of the things that you, you will read if you read Joy at Work is testimonies from people all over this organization that were just so grateful to be able to play that role of decision maker within their realm. Mm-hmm. Distributed decision-making is, is really the core of this concept. Um, and that's, you know, people have been talking about that for a while. Gary Hamill has written books about it. Um, other, you know, academics like are... decentralized management. And, and I've, heard, I've heard the term yeah. uh, distributed leadership kind of recently. That that, that's more, yeah. and that's right. something I've read, like, that Google has applied, you know, where you, you may be the expert in this one particular area, so you step up to become the leader of what's going on and what issues are involved there. And there are other things you may not necessarily yeah. be an expert in, and you take a step back and you say, okay, if you are, I will follow you and let's get this stuff done. One of the talents in that is, is knowing which is your expertise area and which is not, not your expertise. Right. And when do you change those behavior patterns? Where are the boundaries right. well, and, and of, your, of your mode of interaction? Well, yes, and what happens in these organizations is people change roles frequently because they master something. Sure. And now, well, been there, done that. What's new? And so some of of these organizations even have roles marketplaces. 
where they will say, I am transitioning to a new role in this, and so yeah. I'm willing to train someone to, for my role in this, my current role. Right. So, so this ongoing training goes on, and it's really heavily focused on internal training. I have to imagine that's really good, too, where you start dispersing knowledge, right, within internally. So let's say, you know, I, I, I'm the only person that knows this part of the business, and I leave for whatever reason, good or bad. Now you have a big hole to fill. And if no one else knew that part of the business, that, that can hurt the bottom line and the culture. Yeah, and, the, and the person is stuck there because right. they're so good at it. Right, right. <laughs> so and, and it sounds like it's one of those things that you can disperse the knowledge and people can you know see, is this a good fit for me for now? And if not, regardless, someone else is learning that part of the business as well. Yes, and it's the culture that allows that because the, the top-down organization discourages that kind of knowledge sharing because people are protecting their knowledge in order to climb the ladder. Right. So there's this perception there's only so much room at the top. If I share too much of my talents, somebody else is going to take my place. Exactly. It's a horrible mentality. I know. Because yeah. well, how much fear is, is based on that? Very much. And why yeah. would you want internal competition? People think it's... I've had I've had so many arguments with people who think internal competition is healthy. I'm but there's some, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they amp that up, right? Yeah, they have contests. I mean, it's one thing to have like some kind of a fun contest. That's right. different. Where we're going to, <laughs> yeah. you know, have teams that are going to create something, right. and then we're going to decide, you know, is do we want to try this idea or right, not? Right. I mean, that's a fun kind of competition. But when you pit people against each other. You just create animosity and less stress, and then you get the health issues that go with the stress. Oh, and those compound. They do. Yeah. They do. I mean, all, most stress is psychological, as you can read in Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great book. I, re I remember that, seeing that title somewhere. Well, you can also watch the film. I think it was made yeah. in 2007. It's called Stress Portrait of a Killer. Doesn't have quite the light title as the book, but but it's an apple. <laughs> <laughs> but so Robert Sapolsky is a Stanford researcher who has spent his whole career studying stress and in, in a soci sociobiological settings, and it's the reason zebras don't get ulcers is because their their stress isn't psychological. You know, if a lion comes after them and they escape, well, then half an hour later they're. You know, that's a normal. different part of the brain, though. You know, no, it's, it's how they react. It really? Well, yeah. it, well, our our psychological yeah. stress is causing the physiological reaction. Yeah. So the zebra isn't sitting around all day long, you know, nervous, waiting for nervous about nervous about some lion that might right, show that up. Might right? show up. Yeah. <laughs> whereas perpetually on edge. <laughs> whereas someone who's being micromanaged is like. Who's looking over my shoulder now? And right. am I doing it right? And did I, you know, dot that I or cross that T properly? Did you get the TPS reports correct this time? <laughs> and that's a that's a way of controlling people, you know. Wow. Yeah. So so um, have you gone into an organization that had, I guess, that kind of culture where it was almost like really toxic, and you're like, man, this needs to change, or. It's really well, I worked in an organization like that, and that's why I left. <laughs> <laughs> Those types of organizations aren't open to people like me coming in and that's helping fair. them change. Right. Um, they don't really want this kind of organization. 
they they think that what they're doing is what they should be doing. And I'm not going to argue with them. But there are more and more people who want this kind of organization. Um, probably my the the best experience I had back when I had I, I my first training program was all based on nature, science of nature, and quantum mechanics, and you know here's how it here's how it operates in nature. Mm-hmm. Here's how we can operate as humans. Well, it sounds like 18th century enlightenment. No. But I did, I did uh, meet an enlightened leader one time at a renaissance resort in Sonoma, California, where I lived. And, um, and he, had, he had tried the kind of inverted pyramid thing, you know, that doesn't work either. But he was very interested. And we got to a certain level of accomplishment, mm-hmm. but I just didn't have enough information to take them all the way at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it really, into, and and you know, I ended up writing this paper, fractal organization theory, in which I mm-hmm. theorized what these organizations would be like. But I certainly did not have the background of Frederick Alou, who was a McKinsey consultant who had been consulting with management in these top, mm-hmm. org, you know, large, very large organizations for many years. Mm-hmm. And first of all, he got tired of it, of all the dysfunction <laughs> in these organizations he was consulting to, and then he started hearing about these organizations that were operating this way. And so he left his job, and he spent two years doing this research. And he had 42 questions or something like that that mm-hmm. covered the basis of how these different organizations were operating. And then he compiled this research. I'm good at designing training programs. So he put the research in the public domain and said, hey, you can use this content. If you profit from it, you can give me a gift. I'm well, like, that is all. I want, <laughs> tying, uh, tying off, taking off from that, you know, how much do Fractal Ops members or graduates interact with uh, established companies in Frederick? I'm uh, it. I'm the only one. Really? Yeah. And I've, it's only recently that I've finished this program, this training program. Oh. So my goal with the program. So the sky's the limit right now. Yeah. yeah it exactly. Is. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I've been involved with Tech yeah. Frederick because right. I sure. can. I can. I have a day job. You know, editing um, technical training programs for a Cisco Learning Partner. Oh, that's awesome. So I do. I edit programs for network and sales engineers. Okay. Oh. And so I've really learned a lot about training courses by working sure. for these um, Cisco products. And I also recently was trained in their publishing system, which is called Xylem, which is a bear to learn. And I've only gotten through basic training. But it, and it allows all these different types of outputs, and it has translation capabilities. Oh, that's oh, nice. So I'm looking at how can I, yeah. you know, create my program in this format, and then I could offer it to universities or colleges or um, just... I could offer it worldwide. worldwide. In they could languages. take the input and output it any way they needed to in the form they needed it in. Right? Exactly. And the language. Perfect. So yeah. I feel like everything's just unfolding. So you have the tools to kind of be an evangelist for the fractal ops ideas. Well, yes. I, the program I developed yeah. is like 45 hours uh, based on this research, the Lulu research. And it covers all the structures, pro, uh, processes, uh, daily practices, people practices, and they're interactive workshops. So the information, you know, here's the information about uh, 
What to do with your board of directors? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not a good example. But let's say uh, distributed decision making is okay. one of the sure. is one of the modules. So here's the concept, and then here's some case studies about how these different organizations mm-hmm. did it. Now here is an interactive session where you sit down as teams right. and talk about what do you like about this and that right. or that approach, and how do you, how do you want to do it? Right. Yeah. So they're really designing their own system. And I was going to ask you that. So it's not just a, like, it's not a model that you follow to the letter. It's something that you start to adopt and then you you work your way as it works within the organization. Now, there are some people who are adopting a very structured approach. Okay. That holacracy is, holacracy is Brian Robertson's organization. He had a software company called Holacracy One, I believe, that... He implemented this uh, this system within, and then it worked so well that they took it out. And I think they've got more than a hundred organizations working with it. It's a highly structured approach with tactical meetings and governance meetings, and how people are organized in teams, and there's a lead here and a lead there, and you know how it sounds like agile DevOps. Right, you know? it is. It's very it really simple. Well, and he probably used agile in the um, yeah, in his lean, software company, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and. And really, this fractal, fractal ops is like agile for the whole company, not just for the software mm. developers. Mm-hmm. But um, Tony Zap, uh, Tony Shea, Tony Zappos, <laughs> Tony Shea. <laughs> I don't know if you ever read Delivering Happiness, but Tony Shea has been on a quest for happiness in the workplace for some time now, and uh, so he couldn't quite get there. And then he found out about Holacracy, so he decided to bring Holacracy into Zappos, and this was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he knew that it was going to be a big challenge for management. Guess what? You're not going to be in charge of people anymore. You can't control people anymore. But so, some people gravitate to those positions because that's exactly their personal reward. Right. Yeah. So he offered yeah. anybody who didn't want to participate, you know, a severance. Um, and Whoa. if you want to come back in a year... You could, the door so he basically said, showed them the door, basically, if you don't fit in. Right. Yeah. Um, but they still you know, have struggled, and I'm not surprised, because they already had a very 1,500 people, well-established organization. And now here comes a very structured approach. Here's how you're going to have meetings. And they go around seven times, you know. Right. And, it, and here's how you're going to. So it's, it's, it's like you don't get to decide how it's going to work. And that causes change management problems, pushback. People will embrace change if they're part of the change. If change is opposed, imposed upon them, they're much less likely to be open to it. What, you didn't ask my idea? You didn't want my opinion? Really? Yeah, I mean... What I, if I don't like blue walls? <laughs> of course, you think about it, a change management board and the systems development life cycle concept. That's, that's a bit, bunch of people just to say no to what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> she was nodding. I was trying to trying to get the audio version. Of, yeah. <laughs> no, I. I no, that's, no why. that's the insight you just gave me that moment. Yeah. That's why people struggle so much with change in organizations. Yeah. Is because it's imposed and not collaborative. That is so key. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's why these self-managing organizations operate so well. Because change just is happening. Because you know. everybody is bought into that change, and everyone has yeah. a say in there. Yeah, right. Or at least they feel that that's they part have of a their say. body. Well, I guess. Right? Yeah, for yeah. my position, the role I'm playing, I get to decide what changes. Right. 
Yeah. I get to make the decisions. Now I have to ask advice. And then, oh. Yeah, it is a two-way street. It is a collaborative effort, meaning two-way collaboration. Mm -hmm. So you accept the advice of those mentors. You do. Yeah. Now you don't have to, you take their advice, but you don't have to follow it. It In informs words, what you do. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And that broadens everybody's perspectives. So people become better decision makers. It's almost a what's not to love about this. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, the problem is some people go to these, these seminars. I you, Long ago, I would go to them, and I would be all excited about these management things. Mm -hmm. And I'd go back to my thin reality sets, and you go back in because there's no, no way it's gonna, you can sell this to the management chain that you have. Exactly. Because once you've got a really established organization, people are entrenched in their positions. Yes. And they don't want to give up that, that title. They VP worked hard to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't really blame them. No. So I'm seeing this as more of a uh, startup companies, entrepreneurs. That's what I was thinking, yeah. You know, if you have a clean slate, this is a wonderful way to start. Exactly. And make that your institutionalized methodology. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And is this something that can scale as startups it like it can. Start, start to scale? Like, um, Well, AES got to 40,000. So <laughs> answers that. <laughs> but it, it, the interesting thing is sometimes, and Lulu talks about this in the in the research. Sometimes organizations don't feel the need to continually expand. They're like, well, maybe this is where we want to be for a while. Maybe you know because you don't have, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have, you know, stockholders who are chomping at the bit for your. You know, earnings to go up every quarter. Every quarter, yeah. You can, you can have a long-term approach. You can allow things to unfold. Become you more can, integrated with your communities, you know, as you go, and and kind of you know fortify your uh, market establishment there because of that. You mm -hmm. know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the communities tend to be much more, um, you know, like the Tech Frederick community is is mm -hmm. really united, and people are. Let's help each other, and you know that's that's kind of the attitude of self management. Sort of camaraderie there, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those organizations yeah. that people are volunteering. This is all volunteer work, and everyone yeah. there is they're running their own business on some other industry. You know, it's not like they're they're all within the same company per se. It's just one organization. It's it's very. I, I love it. That's what I love about it. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's not something that is also imposed. Either it's like I, you're not telling them what they have to do. They're they're all just stepping up and doing it, you know, as needed. Well, it was it was you know I think the purpose was driven by we really want you know high tech savvy people to live in Frederick and work in Frederick and not just you know commute down the highways every day, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, so they so it was it was wanting to have a larger talent pool that kind of drove it. So they had a common purpose. Um, but then, you know, they just started becoming friends and right. comrades and they want, they, you know, the idea of competition wasn't as onerous as it is in so many conventionally organized, uh, managed companies. Competition is the biggest fear. What's the competition doing? How can we defeat the competition? It's like life's a battle. We got to go out there and 
get the book. And that, yeah, and you'll read yeah, books. Is, yeah. There are business books like that would plainly put out plans that it is like a battle plan, right? How are you we know? vis-a-vis our competitors? Right, this right. is what your bonus is based on. Right. <laughs> right. What's yeah. the SWOT analysis and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so this whole idea that there's just, it's, it's really based on the scarcity principle. There's not enough to go around, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to compete against each other. And again, that's absent in nature. Oh, could you elaborate on that a little bit further? Because earlier you said the nature part of it is how fractals worked. And since this kind of scarcity theory is not a part of nature, it sounds like that's kind of pointing toward the way out of this morass. Can you guide us? Well, <laughs> Or guide us, please. <laughs> I mean, human culture for centuries or thousands of years has had a competitive scarcity right. bent yeah. to it. You know, Actually, you know... One of the early books I read, um, what's that guy, Jared uh, Diamond. He wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel, and then he wrote another book that was all about the co- early cooperation. When people were trading, you know, like, I've got pumpkins and you've got asparagus, and wow, I'd love to have some asparagus. Well, I'd love to have a pumpkin, you know. And so, so early humans were, like, really cooperative, mostly because food was such an interesting thing for us to be discovering and playing with and... I mean, look at how food has gone, you know, moved all the way around the world. I mean, potatoes went from Peru to Ireland, you know, and peppers from South America to Italy. And they become part of the cuisine. Mm -hmm. So early early humans were really very cooperative. Um, And it wasn't until we just got meaner or something. I don't know. It started to become more organized as the huge, huge city-states began to, and then something happened there. Thank you. What happened to the, this this cooperative, you know, culture to come up with what we have now, where you have people needing to take advantage of other people in order to, you know, and and this is not, you know, something's not right here. Well, you know, I think for a long for a long time in history, I know this is kind of getting off track a little bit, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were people who needed to be leaders, and there were people who mm-hmm. were illiterate and didn't know a lot. And so they really needed a lot of guidance, and they they kind of needed to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was just a time, you know, we're just at a different time in history now. People are so much more educated. There's information everywhere. I mean, we're not, you know, peasants or or. Most of us aren't farmers or peasants or, you know, uneducated, illiterate masses who don't have soap, right? I mean, right, exactly. Anyone with a mobile phone, which is basically anyone in the world, has access to information anymore. Yeah, you know, it, so, it, it's yeah. to a point where you don't have to have all the answers in your head anymore because within, you can find them. You can find them within yeah. seconds. Yeah, absolutely. And that also begs the question, like, where is education going? Because why should we teach people things they can just look up? We need to teach them how to look things up, but <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. What, what's the value of rote memorization in this environment? You exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. How to how to at least like in some way vet the information that you're getting. You know? Yeah. I, I don't want to get and how to apply it. Right. Too. I, I don't yeah. want to get into all like is no. the information sound and all this the fake news things, but right. you know things like that. You know, because you can be susceptible without enough education to just believing anything. Right, and that that is, that's I think that's the dangerous part we live in today with technology. Right, where, you know, if your belief can overshadow facts like that, and that that's very 
very dangerous. And with the technology today, it's, it seems like that's more prevalent than ever before. But beliefs are very interesting because they skew perspect- uh, perspectives. They actually, you know, your, your perspective, what you see in the world is based on your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So people who are seeing the world in a certain way have those beliefs that are causing them to see the world in that way. That's really what they believe. And you're measuring, you're seeing, you're observing something, but you're also mixing it with your presuppositions that are already there. And so what do you get as a result of that? You know, that calculation, um, <laughs> how does that fractal work out? <laughs> it's a t- yeah, it can be a downward spiral. Yeah. Unfortunately. I was wondering, you know, with all the things that you've, um, you know, from what you observe over a period of time, from your days with Dr. Dobbs' journal through the IDG days, what kind of trends do you see in in tech companies? Um, Is there hope? Is there, what would you, what kind of, you know, what kind of, what kind of direction do you see the ship turning? Well, I think that the the agile um, development was a huge trend that can infiltrate throughout the organization. Do you think it might be some form of it uh, applicable even within a multinational size organization? You know, again, it depends on the leadership. If you've got enlightened leadership and they're they're tired of being stressed out. Oh, you know, I read that um, some recent survey that 50% of CEOs have some kind of mental health issue, whether it's depression or anxiety or something that's probably stress-driven. So... Believing that you have to control your organization and make the important decisions can be a huge weight on someone. So if somebody can, you know. It's almost like finding a training program that you're developing to give people in leadership positions the understanding and the permission that it's okay to let go, that you're not being irresponsible, that you're not being damaging to your company when you do that by by cultivating management talent in your group. Exactly. I mean, you're really turning everybody into a leader Mm -hmm. through this system. Everyone is learning how to make good decisions and collaborate with each other right. and be transparent. Transparency right. is huge. It is huge. Oh, yeah, um, very much. Yeah. I mean, you can't have an organization like this without honesty and openness. I mean, there's even some of these organizations in the research, everybody knows what everybody makes. And, and some of them, they even have self, um, like, I'm going to decide what my own salary is going to be. But... I got to. got to back it up. I've got a board of yeah. peers, right? And I've got to go and say, "This is why I think I need this raise," and they can say, "Well, we don't think that you really produced, so you're going to have to come back and do, try this sure. again." Um, so, so there are safeguards. Yeah. But people get to decide what their own worth is. And you know, in that kind of situation, I'm thinking too, because the typical corporate corporate structure means I, I have to go to my boss, right? Whether it's just a manager, director, right? Go up the hierarchy to say, let me plead my case for some raise or whatever it is, right? Throw say, myself on your mercy, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that could eat... That could depend on the relationship you have with your direct, you know, you know, reports yeah. and stuff like that, right? It's like if you have a good relationship right. with your director, then it would be a lot easier versus if you are butting heads all the time. But with the system you're describing, now it's like it's not personal. Now I'm pleading to the entire company or a group of peers. And so now that to me sounds like 
or it would feel like the personal aspect of it is out. It's more like quantitative stuff. Am I producing that would warrant this kind of salary? Exactly. But for some people, it would take an incredible amount of intestinal fortitude to expose yourself to that kind <laughs> of thing because the if it, if it gets at your you know basic personal insecurities with the God, no, you're really not worth that. Do I really want to face that? I don't want to think about that. You know, I'm, right. you know, and I hear right. someone is telling me truth. I don't want to hear. Right. Uh, right. It also requires a lot of uh, forgiveness, a lot of acceptance, a lot of, okay, you were bad here. Yes, I was bad. I won't do it again. You know, or, or, or I'm going to, I see that you had a problem with what I was doing. I'm going to change that so we can work together better. And I expect the same of you other person as well. Um, it, well, there yeah, has to be a lot that happens, it takes really. for a certain per, uh, type of person to be able to function comfortably in a, in a world like that. Besides the people in the past that you were talking about earlier, that that they didn't read or write, that they but, they but accepted the, direction. But you could yeah. you could also foster like this sense of like a safe place to have people come out, yes. right? And, and start start shifting yeah. into that kind of mindset, right? You were right? going to say something a second ago. Please don't lose it. <laughs> well, that is yeah. that these 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 self-managing companies do a lot of training mm-hmm. to get people to understand the self-management concept. And they give them a lot of support. So they have, you know, they've got some cushion um, but at the same time, like there's an organization in the research, it's, a, uh, it's called Bertzorg. It's a neighborhood nursing organization in the Netherlands that started out with one neighborhood team of like seven people. And like in seven years, they grew to like 70,000 or something. Wow. Because it was just so, it, nurses were just leaving these other organizations in droves because they, they were working in organizations where they had a... Like somebody was managing the the schedule and they would call and say, and then you've got five minutes to change this bandage or you've got 10 minutes to give them a pill or whatever, you know. And they didn't get to develop any real relationships with the patients. Right. So they created these self-managing nurse or, nursing organizations where they even got to pick their own office and decorate it. Um, and they've got 25% turnover. You know, twenty five percent of those who come in leave, but more people are coming in. So, right. um, so there are people that don't want to take on that responsibility. That's for sure, and it's probably it's like, what's that cliche? Um, can't change the stripes or something. Else. Oh, the leopard spots. Yeah, the tiger, tiger, tiger stripes of the leopard. Yeah, right. Got leopard spots on right now. Uh, right. <laughs> So yeah, if it's a ingrained, um, yeah. but a lot of people are you know have been wanting more freedom and creativity in the workplace for a long time, and so there are people that would easily embrace I, that I, opportunity. And I think that's what really stands out the most about this thing about this kind the type of um, you know taking that the, the hierarchy structure and turning it over right because. You know, when you have a corporate structure, it does stifle creativity. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it does or doesn't, it does. Because now I have to battle with some ideas that would would be cool and could help with actual things that are needed, right? Things that are, are, you know, flames that I have to put out right now and stuff like that. So it's one of those things that it I would like to see. I would like to work in that type of environment myself, you know, where I can you know, have ideas and have my creative mind, you know, just go off and, and really just say, like, if I have an idea, it's not enough to just sit there. Like, let me 
get advice, and then see where I can take that. Well, and Google does the 20% thing, right? Right. 20% of right. your time. 20% of time. Right. Yeah, that that's is. Right. Yeah. You can spend on your own. On anything you want, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, um, this is amazing stuff. I mean, are, are there any current companies in Frederick that are at least, like, you're talking to or are looking to, to do the training modules? No. Okay. I mean, I've I've... I've made some relationships through Tech Frederick, mm-hmm. but I'm not a big, I'm not a hard salesperson. So, you know, they know what I've got. If they want it, they know where to find me. You know right. what I mean? Sure. Um, I show up at the Tech Frederick events. I'm there. I, the program's ready. Um, if people want it, I'm happy to facilitate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. I do have a, a, a little gig with... Um, Enter Exit Escape, an escape room in Mount Airy, where I do some the the daily practices modules are can actually work in almost any organization that's open and wants to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, distributed decision making and things like that. So um, I do some team building workshops for organizations that go to do escape rooms and oh okay yeah so that's fun very good um, so yeah um. Uh, I'm assuming it's uh, fractalops.com, right? Where yeah. you can get more information. Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. It's I've been there. It's a lot of information. You have your PDF there as well, the the theory that you wrote up that you could definitely look at. Yeah, it makes, I'm curious about the next steps of human consciousness that are mentioned in there. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate a bit on that? Well, that was the, that's the subtitle of Lulu's book, that this is the, okay. um, the next, the, you know, yeah. this is the highest stage of, yeah. That we've reached so far. Okay, but we're not of, done yet, right? <laughs> Basically. Well, not and not everybody's no. there yet either. Yeah. I mean, um, the idea that you can collaborate, cooperate in a non-competitive way, right? In a transparent fashion that benefits all the members—that's the highest stage of consciousness that we can imagine right now. I mean, maybe you can imagine. You could probably imagine something higher than that, even. I could try. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wheels are already turning. <laughs> um, I, well, I, wheels are fun to turn. <laughs> yes, yes. I like creative things. Fun, yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's almost like where uh, you have a way of pointing where we could go from here, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, some, some uh, maybe mentorship, uh, if you would, for maybe there's some of this that some companies could adopt in various degrees. That would be right for them. Right. You know, to, to, it's a big menu. I mean, it is a, yes. There's like, what's five to 30 modules? More than five times, 24 modules in wow. the program. So, there's a, it's a delicious menu to choose from. It sounds, it sounds tasty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, maybe we'll get you, we'll try to get you on. I'm thinking that too. One of the meetups or something to showcase a module. You know that that might be something. Oh, that, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, actually, cool, right? uh, yeah, the Linux group would be oh, I would be a good place to do that. Right. I've got two overview modules. One is the um, daily practices. Okay. For the day, for the, all the modules in the daily practices section, right. I've got an overview that talks about all of those those ways that companies operate in a you know daily fashion, and then I have a, a, a an overview of the entire structure as well. So that's fascinating. Those are those are available. Anybody anybody wants those, I'll show up and share the information. Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds let's look good. to the future yeah. then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so so let's end the podcast with just one more question. <laughs> 
Have you had any recent purchases of less than $100 that may have changed your life? Well, interestingly enough, um, I had to travel to Florida in August for some uh, family uh, business, and I had to do I had work while I was there. Mm-hmm. So I took my computer, my monitor, my keyboard, and I left the mouse sitting on my desk. So I needed to get, go buy a mouse. And I've got a Mac. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I bought this cheap little Logitech mouse. I think it was like $15 or something. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was having so many problems with the Mac mouse. Like, cause, because I work in PowerPoint a lot, right. with the, with, both with my training program and the work that I do for the Cisco programs. Um, there's, I was t- making some action with the mouse. I don't know what it was, but I would be on slide 15 and I'd end up on slide 60. Just like that. What did I do? And I couldn't figure it out. So when I was forced to get a new mouse, I was like, it doesn't happen anymore. It's so much easier. <laughs> and I haven't awesome. gone back to the Mac mouse since, so. Very good. Very the, cool. A Mac mouse doesn't do graphics very well. That's <laughs> you can handle that. Yeah, right? <laughs> if you consider PowerPoint graphics. Right. Well, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, it depends you, on what you you're can, doing. Can, you can construct some graphical elements in PowerPoint, and I've done that a lot of yeah. that with this program. Yeah. So, very good. Well, thank you, Jenna. Appreciate you thank coming you out to the much, podcast. Yeah. This thank is, you. This is a wonderful <laughs> talk. You know, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, keep us updated with with anything that may come up with with this stuff. And, you know, we would like to have you back on if we can. I'd love to. You know, and if we can get you on like a meetup too, that'd be awesome. I'm sure other people would be interested in, in this type of stuff as well. So. Well, I'm here to evangelize and spread the information. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you. And thanks, guys. Thank See ya. you.